It's the DTC Podcast, people. The Real McCoy. Original recipe. First in your ear hole podcast on dynasty trading and player values. Hosted by Russ Fisher, Izzy Alkafos, and Akash Patel. Dynasty Trade Calculator, flagship podcast, back again. Your host, Russ Fisher at Dynasty Outhouse. We have Izzy at DTC underscore Izzy E and Akesh at YZR underscore fantasy. Did I get that right? Yeah. I cheated question last mark, time. Is there a question mark at the end? There is now. Okay. I was smart last time and had the Twitter page up and I didn't this time. I was just think, crossing my fingers that I was smart enough to remember three letters in the correct order. And I am. All right. So I figured we're sort of new. We're going even further back to basics this week. We are pretty much introducing ourselves. We are going to go over how long we've been playing, the way we like to play, the way we like to trade, because, hey, nicely trade calculator, and that's what we're here for. So we're going to sort of take it from there, see where it goes, and just give you a basis of what ideologies, I guess, you can expect from the three of us as we go. And since I don't necessarily like talking about myself, I am not going first. But you know what? Let's Izzy's been here for what, like 17 years now that you've been doing this show. <laughs> so let's get you first. Let's get you out of the way. Introduce yourself a little bit. How long you've been playing fantasy? How long you've been playing dynasty? Yeah. So um, I'll probably spend a lot of this show listening and maybe challenging ideas. Uh, I've been, this will be year 16. I want to say in Dynasty. 2006 was my first. So that would be 16. This will be 16 years. I guess technically 17. 17 years if you... Yeah. So 16, 17 years. So uh, it's been a while. And I've seen the landscape change quite a bit. How Dynasty is played has changed a lot um, for very good reasons. But yeah, I've seen it all. All right. So let's point out the obvious thing first here. Izzy started playing Dynasty while Akesh was still in diapers. So, <laughs> 17 years ago, I was it's, two years old. That's hilarious, yeah. Kids these so, yeah, days. Technically, that is right. All right, well, Akesh, how long have you been playing fantasy football for? How long have you been playing Dynasty for? Um, been playing for a couple of years. Started 2020. Started playing fantasy football in 2018. Just joined a league with some of my friends at school. Of course... I won my first league because I scammed someone out of Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott. But um, then a couple of years later, I started playing Dynasty, and I've yeah not playing as long as Izzy. But uh, over the last couple of years, it's really been a big youth movement, and we've seen a couple of really good rookie classes. And so my mindset has really been focusing on youth because of the I think because of the time I started playing Dynasty, some of the players that were good a couple years ago are starting to be phased out and we're seeing a lot of rising stars now and so there's a lot of youth at the top in dynasty now all right um mm -hmm. i have been playing fantasy football for about 18 ish years dynasty for about five or six uh again putting akesh back in diapers for at least fantasy football wise and i'm just gonna take every opportunity to point out how much freaking younger <laughs> he is just because okay it makes me feel insecure about myself come on leave me alone all right uh so let's, this is the Dynasty Trade Calculator show. Trades are what really matters. Off the top of your head, pretending that I didn't bring this up like maybe four or five days ago. Let's pretend you didn't even think about it because chances are you probably didn't even read it. Izzy, 
off the top of your head, what are some of the best and worst trades you've made over the past 37 years in Dynasty? Oh, man. I thought I was thinking more of last year when you had posed this question. Worst trade I've ever made? It's probably the worst trade I, I never made. That, that fits. That works. That is absolutely part a, a good answer for this question. So I was offered, um, after Christian McCaffrey's rookie season, in a points per carry league, it's a 14-team points per carry league, um, the former host of the show, or the, uh, the, show on, the, the host on sabbatical, offered me Christian McCaffrey for my Jordan Howard. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, and at the time it was you know Jordan Howard was the bell cow in Chicago. Um, yep. If it was a PPR league, I would have taken the deal, but I didn't think Christian McCaffrey would ever be a three hundred carry back. I thought he'd be in the Camaro role, and if Jordan Howard was a you know two hundred fifty three hundred carry guy on an annual basis, um, that'll work in his favor. And Christian McCaffrey probably wasn't going to be a goal line back. And that's kind of what I was thinking, projecting forward his profile and how he was utilizing his rookie season. I figured would kind of, like I said, he'd be Camara, Camara light. Um, we were quickly proven wrong on that theory. <laughs> and Christian McCaffrey became what he was and Jordan Howard the following season, or maybe even later in his second season um, or later in that season that I was offered that trade kind of started to crumble. So, um, which is atypical for me because over the course of time, I've always been very much draft capital driven. Um, and Jordan Howard didn't have it. The only thing that's always resonated in my mind is Arian Foster made a career being an undrafted free agent. Um, you know, Priest Holmes was a hell of a player and he was, I think he was undrafted as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, th there are exceptions to the rule. I mean, Alfred Morris was a pretty good back for a while. Uh, so I was thinking, well, you know, Jordan Howard, I really liked him coming out. So I was kind of still in the mindset, well, he's arrived. He's going to be around for a while. He's going to be the bell cow in Chicago for a long time. And I'm totally comfortable with that. So and these are the things, these are the moments that when we're going through Dynasty, um, it, it's kind of like the experience. You start wearing some of the pain and you try not to get burned the same way again. So you try not to get fixated on certain ideologies and mindsets because they could end up burning you. So you got to be vigilant at all times. It's, it's, it's a big reason why whenever I don't like a player coming out of college and everybody seems to like him, I still try to get a share or two to hedge my own opinion because I, I'm experienced enough to know that I won't always be right. <laughs> Where a lot of people think that they're just kind of know-it-all is always right. Um, I'm wrong quite a bit. I'm wrong a lot. I mean, most of us are. I mean, I would say just like gambling, we're in the a good gambler will be successful between 50 and 60% of the time, and 60% is pushing it. And I feel the same way about um, player evaluation. The best, best individuals at player eval are not at a 70 or 80% hit rate. They're in that 55 to 60% hit rate. So we are going to be wrong, you know, four times out of 10 which is a lot. So you always got to hedge, stay, you know, don't get fixated on what you think you know. You have to assume that the other person may see something that you don't. Yeah. Uh, well, this is going to jump ahead to another one of my questions. 
but how many leagues are you in? Uh, I am in, I have, I think, 16, 15 to 17 leagues in yeah. Dynasty, I want to say. Uh, no, 15. 15 Dynasty last year. Yeah, it's really funny you brought that up because, I mean, I, I got myself down. I got below 20. Like, seeing that one in front of the number, I'm in 19, which, just crossing my fingers, I don't get that urge to join one more and bring that two back. But I, I call them just-in-case shares. You know, like you were just saying, like, it's always safe to have one person. It's like, all right, I don't like this person as a player. I don't know them as people. But it's like, just in case I'm wrong, let me just get one share on one of those teams. And it's one of those benefits from being in just a ton of leagues. Like, you know, even if you don't want them there, and even if it ends up you being correct, it's just one league where you kind of maybe spent a little too much on the guy just to have him on your team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my, Michael Thomas was the best example of that. I, I think... And I was wrong. So it was really good on my part to do that. So Michael Thomas, I had, I think, four Michael Thomas shares. Um, I told myself, if everybody seems to like him. If he gets beyond this point in my drafts, I will select him in the leagues that he is beyond this point because he becomes more of a value and I'm, a, I'm okay accepting what I don't feel is going to be the next it receiver. Once again, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. But I looked at his college profile he wasn't the alpha on his team ohio state prior to michael thomas really struggled for a long time to produce weapons in the nfl um and i didn't think that he'd have the ceiling that he ended up having um literally the ceiling yeah, yeah the ceiling so yeah i was proven wrong but i had enough shares to where i felt like i had invested properly you know so it's like you just gotta yeah you can't you can't be so self-consumed that you miss the boat on a lot of things. Yeah, and just one quick story, because I learned the same lesson you did when it comes to second-year running backs. I've learned to, if they did it for the entire season, absolutely believe it. My first or second year in fantasy football was back when LaDainian Tomlinson was the obvious 101 in your, this was redraft. And it was Adrian Peterson's sophomore year. I had the second pick. So clearly LaDainian Tomlinson went up 101. So I'm sitting on the clock and I'm just like, Adrian Peterson did really well. Everyone's talking about taking him right after LaDainian Tomlinson. It was his rookie year. There's no way he can do that again. It's just no, no. I'm going to take Brian Westbrook, which again, in a PPR league, like there, he was as close to LaDainian mm -hmm. Tomlinson as you can get. Passing to the running back wasn't as big as a deal back then. Brian Westbrook spent most of the season injured, and when he played, he was not good anymore. And Adrian Peterson, I think we all know how that went. <laughs> so while it wasn't in trade form, I learned that same lesson. Yeah, Kosh had something. Yeah, I was going to say the Michael Thomas point. That's the beauty about being in more leagues. Uh, you, say you end up drafting or playing with certain groups that maybe skew towards what you're leaning into. Like, I'm playing with some of my friends, and they have the same ideologies as me. Maybe... One guy will start to fall who I might not have in a bunch of leagues, but then he starts to fall in that league. You end up with a share, and that's a way to diversify. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then there's always a point where you have to say, okay, there's fine value. Because I don't, uh, there's players that I'm definitely more out on, but then there's always a price I'm willing to pay for them because there's always a chance that I'm wrong, always a pretty good chance I'm wrong. Um, so you have to tell yourself, and I've made this mistake before, that you don't always have to stick to your guys, you have to take the value where it comes because the masses are a lot smarter than one person most of the time. And so if a lot of people like a guy for a reason, 
then you can capitalize on the falling value, even if you personally don't like them. I mean, let's go a little out of order. Is there any guy that comes to your mind when it comes to all those words you just said so eloquently? Um, I would say... So what you're asking is, who does he not like? Yeah, who do I not yeah. like? That everybody seems to like. Yeah, who's the Michael Thomas of Akesh's um, world? Like uh, Kadarius Tony or something. Yeah, know? okay, there you go. Playing with a... Playing with a bunch of guys that also don't like him because there's a um, bit of a possible small sample trap. He was good on a small sample. Um, some certain data points are good for him, like he had good yards per hour run as a rookie, but then on the whole, he didn't have good points per game or good target share. And so you you can't project him forward as easily. You can project some of the other rookies like Elijah Moore, Amara St. Brown, even Rashad Bateman. And he also came in with a worse... Um, college profile than some of those guys and so if i'm playing with a bunch of guys that also aren't as into him and he starts to fall a bit uh you can end up taking some good value like i was playing i was doing a startup and he fell to i think like the late ninth or early 10th i was like yeah i'm fine with this value just because um there are some encouraging signs there even if i'm not totally in on the guy yeah all right well let's jump to you let's actually no we're, we're gonna keep our out of order thing going uh, how many leagues are you in, Akash? Ten right now. Not bad. You know, you actually kept it a little under control for just joining Dynasty. Usually it goes, like, quick into the 20s. Well, I just started playing a couple of years ago. It was one, and then it was seven. Now it's ten. We're only at the beginning of the offseason. I've already added three, four startups, left left a couple other. And so I'll definitely be up to you guys uh, soon S enough. Six more months. You're going to have to Word keep strong, man. Yeah. Word of wisdom. Um... I wish I didn't join as many leagues. Um, I wish I was under 10, because if I was under 10, I could conceivably, with how busy I am in, in, in my regular life, I could conceivably under 10 manage all 10 to the way that I want. Mm -hmm. But what I end up doing every year is I will get a team in a good spot, and then I will ignore it for a couple of years and build up the ones that need TLC. What it, a lot, what it ends up doing is I'm just patching holes, like where in a normal situation, I feel like if I was given an appropriate amount of leagues, I could keep them all at an acceptable slash competing level and just keep, you know, recycling. What I like to do is re like recycle the youth and I can do that in every league and make the appropriate trades, but some fall behind because I, I legitimately will not make a trade multiple years until i realize okay this team is starting to deteriorate and then let me build it back up i wish i didn't have to do that um so at some point it becomes unmanageable but you, akash you may be you may have more time in the day than i do or you may be more efficient than i am uh, i don't know i'm not very efficient but i'll probably get there as uh, i learn i'm a big uh... there's people like 60 leagues i know it's insane i was stalking someone um someone's trades and someone's, uh, not account, but uh, there's tools to look up your, like, your roster ship on Sleeper and MFL. And you can see how many, uh, what percentage of players you're, you own or mm -hmm. roster, shouldn't say own. Um, and so I was doing that for someone else. And I was like, okay, let me see who they like, who they're um, over market on, who they roster a lot of. And I found out the guy was in 240 leagues. And I was like, what the hell, what the heck are you doing? Like. How do you have time for this? It's just insane what some people yeah, do. It's weird. 200, 240 leagues. How? Yeah, it's that, amazing. That, it's amazing. Some of that has to just be like best ball, right? Like that can't be real. I would hope like, no so. One, no one can have, 
no matter what trick you use, no matter what there is, no one can physically have the time on Sunday morning to set 240 something lineups. Exactly. Like you got to be waking up at five in the morning for that. Yeah. I can imagine if they're West Coast, they're waking up at like three in the morning for that. Yeah. Waiting for the inactives with 240 leagues would be the most like nightmare situation I can think of. Right. You'd have to. You'd have, There's 90 minutes between 1130 and one. <laughs> and if you're in 240 leagues, you're going to have to spend you're going to have to adjust your lineups uh, one every like 30 seconds. <laughs> like, I'm getting Whenever, anxiety just thinking about yeah, it. That's it's, it's I, awful. We're moving. Uh, uh. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's insane what some people do. Um, but yeah, I, if I were you, words of wisdom: don't get overzealous. Um, just <laughs> slow down. And my words of wisdom would be, as he said, keep yourself around like ten leagues. My words of wisdom would be, don't run fifteen because then you can't only be in ten leagues. <laughs> my bad. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> but let's actually go back to the question that got us here. Akesh, out of the just top of your head, best or worst trade you've made, something that sticks out that when someone says, you know, what, what, what trade just sticks in your brain? What's the first thing that spits out? Uh, traded Galen Waddle for LaVisca Chenault in a third or a couple thirds at the beginning of last year. Mm, that hurts. That definitely that hurts. hurts. Well, tough, you got the I, guy you like, right? You right, know? exactly. I had there a bunch of Visca last year. He ended up burning me a lot of places, but uh, still along for the ride. Now, I was not in so, on Jalen Waddle. You know, the college profile production wasn't great. He did go high in the draft, but I still wasn't in. I was like, I was too insolent uh, in my youth. I was foolish. I was like, <laughs> this is the next John Ross. This is Tavon Austin. This is. Henry Ruggs, this is Miko Hardman, and I didn't stop to consider that maybe I would be wrong on him. And so I just had none of him, and he ended up making me look like a huge fool. And sometimes uh, I see my old takes, and I just cringe because I was so confident, so confidently wrong. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Um, what did you learn last season about Visca and your process on him? Because he obviously burned you and you've been a very big, you've been very vocal on Visca and him taking that next step in his second season. What did you learn? Yeah. So, uh, Visca did kind of take a step in his second season. Like the production wasn't there. He was in an awful offense, but he went from a 15% target share to an 18% target share. So he's becoming more involved in the offense and he's also still getting some work in the Russian game. We know he's uh, kind of dynamic in that sense. So he has a skill set that um, keeps him involved in the offense, and he'll have a role in this offense. I'm pretty confident in that. And so at his depreciated prices, I'm, I'm looking back at his rookie comps and saying, look, this guy was good as a rookie. Um, I tried to project him forward, um, and it didn't work out for this year, but I can say that I'm pretty sure that he isn't bad, and I think that He's a good candidate to produce, and he's 23 years old, maybe 24 soon. I don't know off the top of my head, but he's valued around wide receiver 60-ish on most sites. Um, when I expect like he could be a wide receiver 30 or better, you don't need a lot to go right for you to hit and gain value and gain good, solid, young production at that point. And so I've been adding him in a lot of uh, leagues. I've been like 12th round getting a lot of Visca. So where did it go wrong for Visca this year? So why didn't he produce as much as you expected him to? Like, where did you think, what do you think happened? Do you think it's an Urban Meyer situation? Do you think it's 
a viscous situation where he didn't develop as much as he should? He's kind of flatlined. Do you think it's a Trevor Lawrence? What is it? It's most likely, you know, blame it. It's a combination of everything. So Urban Meyer, I don't think he ran the offense very well. Trevor Lawrence obviously wasn't great as a rookie. Uh, like uh, Lawrence's touchdown numbers were horrible and led to Visca not scoring any touchdowns. It was going to hurt anyone's production. But LaVisca Chenault wasn't that efficient, like on a, and his PFF receiving grade wasn't very good, wasn't horrible, but Visca uh, is definitely, you have to temper your expectations for him, like the ceiling gets, just because I think he'll end up being a solid player. I don't think that he's going to break out in some huge way. Like his rookie comps had guys like Calvin Johnson and DJ Moore. Well, obviously, were better prospects coming in, but they had similar rookie seasons, and so um, I think that he's going to end up like a solid wide receiver three. He's going to have some good volume. If his offense can take a leap under Doug Peterson, they can if they can have high volume, then that eighteen to twenty percent target share can turn into some good target numbers. And then he also has a little bit in the rushing game. You can get some solid production from that. But so, so you've changed your projection on Visca from having some wide receiver one potential to now you've tempered your expectations to him being more of a wide receiver wide receiver three moving forward is that correct or today yeah wide receiver two or three you know it depends on okay. a lot of so how good the offense is their volume but i don't think that this you know, is going to end up like debo samuel or something but you see though the second you asked about a ceiling you saw the glimmer of hope come out of catch his body where you're like wide receiver three right he's like well wide receiver two i mean wide receiver three okay no see it's still there he believes he believes, he I, believes, he believes. I can feel I, that i i will just the process i will um i have no visca in any league so i will um i'll make it a mission over the next couple of weeks to um get at least one and i'll report back awesome yeah if, if i have a guy like nico collins or joshua palmer um who are hyped coming off of their rookie seasons which were frankly pretty disappointing i mean they weren't disappointing in the sense that they nico had... is impressive i think nico's impressive considering the situation yeah um but yeah yeah i mean they didn't disappoint in the sense that um they had high expectations but they just weren't very good right in my opinion like they're they weren't that productive it, it, i can't project them for it especially since they weren't very good prospects coming in and so if i have a guy like that i'm probably going to look to flip them do you think that gets done? Because you're so good at this podcasting thing. You stole my question before I could ask it. You know, what would it take to go get LaVisca right now? Are, do you think other GMs are so sour on what he didn't do that you could get him for a third, but you gave an even better idea of what to do with that and get these young guys who people still have a glimmer of hope, even though maybe they didn't show out so greatly, even though I'm with Izzy, I'm a Nico Collins fan. Um, but like, the Josh Palmers, or I, I love like throwing it. Hey, Mike Williams might be gone. So go, I'll give you Josh Palmer or Jalen Guyton, right? They're going to walk right into that Mike Williams role, and no exactly. one's going to walk right into the Mike Williams role. I but find someone who again, believes in vacated targets and go sell them. <laughs> yep. Oh, man, I hear Peter Howard yelling, just hearing somewhere like his Peter senses went off and about the phrase vacated targets. Uh, but, um, Man, I completely blanked. But you brought up my guy, my just in case guy, Jalen Waddle. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan I, of him. I think you're. I think you're asking Akash what he would expect to give up for Visca. 
But I mean, he sort of answered it already by saying, okay. you know, oh, yeah, 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 sorry, guys. sorry. Okay. Um, Jalen Waddle, I wasn't the biggest fan of him coming out. I kind of, I wasn't as far as, as Akesh was, but the crowded Alabama wide receiver core has always been a little iffy. And if it wasn't the guy there, it's just kind of, all right, at a first round pick, that seems a little heavy. Never, I got like one or two out of my, again, 20 something leagues. Found out pretty quickly I was wrong. And the second I saw him in the NFL, I'm like, okay, no, cool. And that just made it easier because I already had that base of like two shares of him to just get a couple of more in, which is why, again, if you're in multiple leagues and multiple leagues that aren't high stakes, high buy-ins, then like just those just in case shares can be pretty important because it can, if you definitely change your mind, make it a little easier just to up that percentage if you're the kind of people that play as you know, a portfolio kind of idea, which, you know, Izzy's the gambler type. So I know that that's a way he kind of thinks about things. Uh, okay. But did you even, okay. So yeah, you talked about the waddle for Visca. So my next question for you guys is going to be favorite league types. You know, the easiest answer when I was like, what kind of leagues do you like to join? You know, at least for people like Izzy and I who have been around for a while, the, user, the answer is usually just depends who's in the league, really. You know, I want to be in leagues with either people I haven't been in leagues with before or, you know what, I feel like a nice, comfortable league. Let me go join a league with people I like. But let's pretend you know nothing about the people. It is, you know, the masked singer of fantasy football leagues, which now someone's going to go, ooh, I'm going to create a masked singer fantasy <laughs> football league. Let me know how that goes. What is the kind of league you look for, at least base-wise, to join? You know, Akesh, you go first, because I keep asking Izzy first, and I'm tired of it. Like settings? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, amount of teams, Yeah. PPR, um, PPC, you know, tight end premium, that kind of stuff. Yeah, real uh, missionary sex answer here. Just 12-team PPR uh, is what I'm... Superflex, just the standard. That's what everyone plays in. That's what I like to play. See, I go with vanilla, you know, because mm. that's the base as opposed to your very <laughs> colorful explanation. But is there any, are there any tweaks, any small different ver variations of that league that if you were to create a league saying this is the league I want to play in that you would put on it? Is tight end premium a tweak? And a lot of people don't use it, but it's become more standard in the dynasty. Community. What is... A good premium for you are you the 1.5 kind of guy yeah 0.5 premium 0.5 premium one point so it's a total of 1.5 yeah. for tight ends that's that'll be pretty good that'll bring your top tight ends up to the top wide receivers close close to it all right what about you izzy what's what's your favorite league what's your basic league anything in between uh personally I like 14 teamers um I think with a 14-team league, it requires more long-term planning than a 12-team league. Most 12-team leagues, you'll get five people right out of the gates that will just will crap the bed. They'll do a bad job <laughs> drafting. They'll do a bad job trading. It becomes a seven-man league at that point, and then anything can happen in the playoffs. I feel like when you get to 14 teams, what ends up happening is it's harder for you to separate yourself from the others because your draft, your ability to get opportunities in the draft shrink quite significantly. Those two teams actually make a massive difference when it comes to drafting, you know, because you're expecting certain guys to fall and certain opportunities to arise. 
um, that don't happen in 14-team leagues, just having those two extra teams. Um, so I like the 14-team format, makes it more challenging. If I only had one league, if I had to get rid of every league and just do one league, I would probably go with like a contract league, a salary okay. cap contract league. Um, I enjoy those the most. Um, once again, it's more of a strategic, it's a planning um, type league. Um, I'm a huge fan of not points per carry, not points per, per reception. I think every league should have some sort of point per first down format. So I'm okay with having a half PPR. My favorite right now is having a half PPR, half first down. Interesting. Okay. It 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 doesn't it doesn't put too much, um, I guess too much weight on running backs with having a point per carry league, mm -hmm. but it doesn't put too much weight on a receiver for having the PPR league. So if you're a receiver that and, and as we know in football, a first down is far more valuable than to just having one reception, right? One reception. I hate the fact that you can get one reception for my, this is a Visca stat, one reception for minus one yards, and that's a point. point. Or I literally point yell PPR every time yeah. that happens. It's so it's like, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, so I, I do like the, the um, having that first down um, aspect. I love tight end premium just because we need to elevate those um those players because frankly they're if you fade the, the smartest thing to do in a non-premium league is to just fade tight ends mm. it, it's just it's a waste of equity to to try to invest in any tight end as we know because there's only like three or four that ever matter um so that, that was, those would probably be my format 14 team in a contract league half ppr half first down with a tight end premium um and the more starters the better once again it makes it more challenging um and strategy changes when you add more starting requirements. Yeah, and I think Izzy actually drove this into where my next question was going to go anyway, because again, Dynasty Trade Calculator, we're going to bring this towards trading. What leagues do you play in settings-wise you think leads to more activity, especially when it comes to trades? And deeper leagues, more starters, I think is absolutely the first step there. Uh, you know, between one QB and Superflex, between, I mean, I don't know if PPR or standard would change the amount of trades, just the kind of trades, probably. But within the many leagues both of you are in, and if there are multiple settings to the different leagues you're in, is there one league setting you found that drives trading a little bit more? Um, I haven't played a lot of one QB Dynasty, except my first one was the one QB. And then that one, um, quarterbacks never, ever got moved. They were oh, yeah. basically roster clogged. I mean, you have your elite guys, but then I came in with a very redraft mindset, and I was like, okay, same way I approach redraft, I'm going to go late round QB, ended up with like um, Matt Ryan and Ryan Tannehill. And so, um, but they, they're not elite options. And so I, when I was uh, trying to build up my dynasty, I was like, okay, I'm going to build a juggernaut. Except my QBs, they're so bad. Uh, no one wants to trade for Matt Ryan, and so they're just a roster clogger at that point. I'm not not starting him. He's my second QB, and basically on that point, then all the mediocre QBs like your Derek Carrs and your some Kirk Cousins, like they will become guys that aren't moved. They'll just stay on your roster, and that's not fun. More players that you can uh, be able to trade, the better. Same with tight end premium, where all the tight ends except the very top ones. Uh, get faded a bunch by everyone and so 
you're not seeing a lot of the mid-tier tight ends get moved because everyone's like, okay, they're very replaceable guys. And so it, those formats that elevate the guys that aren't running backs and wide receivers, everyone loves their running backs and wide receivers. If you can elevate the other guys, you can encourage more movement. Yeah. Uh, I will say that there isn't a, a specific league format. The only thing that is mandatory to have an active league is, I feel, super flex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll say in order. The number one thing that'll drive trade traffic is having no trade deadline. Yeah. The second thing is having the right people in the league. Actually, yeah. It's almost 1A, 1B because you, I feel like <laughs> I'll say actually having the right people in the league is one because even if there's a trade deadline, it'll still be active throughout the season. Secondarily, no trade deadline emphatically increases um, roster movement or or, or trades because people start focusing on trying to win. And then lastly is having a super flex league. I think Akash mentioned this or, or touched on it. Um, because it when you don't have a quarterback in super flex, you are forced to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have a one quarterback league and you don't have a great running back stable, you can offset it with having a good wide receiver core or vice versa. If you don't have good quarterbacks in Superflex or productive quarterbacks, you give up so many points per week to the next guy that you're forced to do something about it. Yep. So I'd say those are the one, two, and three. Hmm. Cool. All right. So let's bring it back down to a personal level. Izzy, what is your favorite style of trading? Because, I mean, let me, I guess, give examples. Are you a talker? Do you DM someone? Do you just throw offers out? Are you the kind of person that will throw comments in? Do you DM the person after you get a trade offer, either to say, yo, that's gross, or to say, here's what I think about all of this puzzle. Let me push a couple of pieces back in so we can figure it out. You know, what, what do you think is your way, not the best way, just your personal way to handle trading? It's interesting because I feel like I'm, uh, in the minority on this, but if you think of world trade, just trading in between nations and so on and so forth, how often does you know one country call another and be like, "Hey, I'm going to give you four pounds of wheat for a gallon of oil," like randomly? It's it, it there has to be some dialogue. I feel like in world trade there is dialogue that is made, and for some reason it's frowned upon. In Dynasty, you have to send, just send me an offer. Well, can we talk about this first? Let's figure out what you're looking for so then I can put together a quality offer so I'm not wasting any of our times. I hate when people just send me a cold offer because I will say with certainty, 95% of the time, I will tell you what, I will know if the offer is complete horseshit based on who sent it. <laughs> I don't even need to open it. I feel and a there are attacked some- on this one. And okay, there are yeah. some people where I receive an offer from them and I know without a doubt it's going to be a good offer. So I don't like getting the cold offers. I want somebody to reach out to me and say, hey, I'm looking, I'm interested in X player. And I want them to ask me who I want on their team. Because if I can then go look at their team, I can tell them, here's the list of players that I would be interested in. Now formulate a trade based on this criteria. It expedites the process. It makes sure that I'm going to get an offer with the players that I want. And if there's nothing to be had, we move on. There isn't a back and forth. There isn't a, 
I'm going to post this on Twitter. Look at how shitty this offer is. I'm so offended. <laughs> you know, my leagues suck. Like, it's like, no, you could create a better experience for yourself if you create a dialogue with your league mates. So if I'm interested in a player, I try to reach out to the individual and say, hey, do you like, who do you like on my team? Who, has, who gives you any interest? Because let me, look at, let me tell you this. I, will, I can look at Akash's team and be like, there is a flaw on Akash's team. So I'm going to send an offer based on that. He may not view it that way. I may see a, a, a Visca on his roster, and I'm thinking, well, he's got no wide receiver three. He needs a wide receiver three. And he may be like, dude, what are you talking about? Dude? I got Visca in his mind. So I'm wasting his time by trying to find him a wide receiver three. I'll ask Akash you know, what he needs to improve on in a way by asking him who he wants on my team. And typically, people answer the question who they want on your team based on what they need. Mm-hmm. So that's just my personal preference. Find an opportunity. If it's not there, move on. Don't go the back and forth. Don't, don't spend your time getting offended and all that madness. Hey, John Bosch and Kane Fassell, my co-hosts at Dynasty Wall Street. Yeah, that. Man, they are just like, no, I don't want to talk. Send me an offer. That, <laughs> whether I accept or reject or counter, that's my part of the discussion. I'm like, all right. So to be fair to them, um, from what I've gathered, I've actually never been in a league with Kane, I don't think. But with John, he typically offers good trades. I would put him in the good initial offer bucket. The problem with JB is that he expects if everybody was like Bosch, then I'd understand that it would be okay to think that way. And no one is like Bosch. Right. And I think Kane is the same way. If he wants his guy, he will offer you a good trade. Yes. So that's great. Having those guys around is awesome, and that's their philosophy. The problem is their philosophy doesn't translate to other people doing that because they're going to get shitty offers, and they're only going to send good ones. So they're kind of they're at a massive disadvantage in that sense. Yeah, the real, the real answer to this before I ask Akash, just because I... I was making fun of John and Kane, and it's really just not because they're wrong. There literally is no wrong answer. It's just, I am absolutely a talker. I, and it's not, it's funny, John will say, I'm not giving up any information I don't need to give up. They don't need to know how I value players. And I'm just like, I just like talking. That's really all it is. Like, I, I, I will gladly just sit and talk fantasy football for no reason whatsoever. But if we can get a trade out of it, that's awesome. And I absolutely so- send cold offers just because I'm bored. So like, that's what I just want to put out. There is no wrong answer. This is absolutely personal preference. And that's why, again, I just want to help everyone listening, get to know these people that are on this show. And that's why I'm going to ask Akesh, what about you? What is your personal preference when it comes to offering trades and the process to get into one? Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm a, like, I'll, I'll DM someone, tell them I'm interested in someone or do the, uh, the click the button that tells them I'm interested or I'll say if they're int- I'll see if they're interested in someone on my team if they have a big need on their team. I think I should move into more not super cold offers, but just going like a couple lines of dialogue and then sending a trade because normally I drag it out too long. I try to gather information, see how they value players. But like you said, you know, some pe- a lot of people don't want to say I want this for a guy and I am lower on this guy because they don't want to like, give up information and uh, they could be exploited like that. They could say they're lower on someone on their team, and then I take advantage of that by trading for that player. Um, so I think I should um, be quicker to pull triggers, but normally I'm, I'm just a, a big, you know, like you said, just talking fantasy football with someone. I remember uh, in the middle of the season, I was trying to trade for T. Higgins, 
and it turned into I'm interested in T. Higgins. I would offer this to just talking about fantasy football. Like, can you believe all these people are putting T. Higgins outside like the top 15, top 20 wide receivers? Like they're saying he's just a, a mediocre wide receiver three and chases the guy. And we're just talking fantasy football at that point. We're not even trading anymore. It's, it's hard yeah. to talk to people that wrong. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. So I get what Akash is saying that it could, you could be talking too much. And I agree with that. And I will say, What's just as bad as the cold offer, in my opinion, with just offensive pieces in there, is the, hey, I want this player. Let me know what you want for him. It's Ugh. like, dude, <laughs> like, that, that's worse. Like, I, I don't, that's not how this works. Like, you, you want this guy. You are not going to put the onus on me now to make an offer. You, if you ask me what I want, from your team, I will gladly tell you, here's six players that I'm interested in on your roster. I'm not going to tell you which ones I like the most. I'm not going to tell you which ones I value where. I'm just going to give you the names of the players, and you will put together an offer. And if the offer is reasonable, I will counter. If it's a great offer, I'll accept it. And if it's not even close, I'll move on. I'm, I'm not going to spend my time going back and forth with somebody that is clearly outside of the value park than I am. So. It, there isn't, to Akash's point, you don't want to drag conversations out because people will then end up falling in love with certain... So if you say to somebody, I'm interested in this player, what do, what do you like on my team? You now shift the conversation to them thinking about your players that you have. If you talk about strictly that individual, that it's kind of like a psychology thing. Mm-hmm. If you talk about that individual and you don't ask them about your team, the conversation is focused on one singular player, and now that person is now focused on that player. And in their mind, subconsciously, they want to retain that player because somebody wants them, or the value in their mind increases. So flipping it to asking them what they want on your team now puts their mind on focusing on the players that they can have, not the players that they do have. Wow. Yeah, that's actually pretty brilliant. But I'm going to go back to the complaining part of it is I hate it worse when they do it through the actual league site. Like you get that email. You got a trade offer. Yes. Awesome. Let's go see what it is. And it's just one of your players and then blank on the other side. What do I need to do to get this guy? The easiest reply. Send me an offer. Yeah. No, that's that's not how this goes. What do I need to do to get this guy? They're thinking about that guy. That's all they're thinking about is that guy. Is that a thing on MFL? Yes, you can send a once you can send a trade with nothing on the other side. I mean, you could do that on paper, but it'll just send it in the DMs, and so then you can just DM them, not like an email. Uh, there's a thing that I, that on Sleeper where you just hit the heart button, and it'll say it'll notify them like blank is interested in T Higgins or something, and that that can be a good way because then that sticks around and I can click on that player and it has a thing it has a tab that says interest from these teams and well, so that's super interesting yeah later uh if I'm looking like I did this with uh Jalen Waddle the other day uh I had him on a team an orphan that I took over and before the I took over the orphan someone clicked the interested button on Jalen Waddle and so I I was able to see that I had interest from a couple people and I said, okay, maybe I want to pivot off of him. And so I messaged the guy. We went back and forth, ended up trading Waddle for Deontay, 14th overall pick, Superflex, 
um, and Chris Carson. I thought that was a pretty solid deal. Hopefully get a good wide receiver there, build out my depth. But and it would have happened if I hadn't seen that they were interested in Waddle from the button. I will say, though, the MFL thing um, where you can send an offer on one side, I have done, and people have sent it to me, which I really like, is they will send me or I will send them five or six players that I like on their team, and I'll just send it with nothing on the one side, and I'll send them a DM saying, hey, I sent you an MFL offer that just shows the players that I'm interested in. Let me know if there's something to be had there. We can start negotiating on a deal. So there is some value to that. Um, you just got to use the right way and follow up with the right way. The follow-up DM, that is absolutely the difference maker there. Okay, before we do wrap up now, any parting shots, any... This is one thing I didn't get to say about me, my trading habits, anything like that. You know, just one last get to know me kind of thing. I have a question, actually. Is it even? Yeah, exactly. I was I had this question earlier. I was thinking about it. If you are in a league where there's not a lot of trading, what would you try to tweak with the settings to try to uh, get more trading? Like, would you add like a buy in or would you remove a deadline or what do you think is the best way to encourage people to be more active? Removing a deadline, I think, is the you don't shake the league up by making some vast change by just removing a deadline. Right? It's the it's the the less the, the the quietest way, I guess, to drum up activity. And if that still doesn't work, it, it, at the end of the day, you may have a people problem, yeah. right? It may not be. It may be those you got too many guys with two hundred forty leagues in that league. Where they don't have the time for it, there needs to be um, in every league. There's gonna not everybody's gonna be an initiator, right? So there's an aggressor in trades, and there's the passive individuals that are willing to make trades, but they're not willing to spend time of their on their in their day to go out and look at trades. But if you send them a trade, they're engaged. So there's like the people that are not engaged, no matter what happens, they don't respond, nothing. And then there's the passive individuals, and then there's the aggressive individuals that are actually seeking out trades. So having a balance of that is usually what happens in most leagues where you got four or five people that are doing most of the trades with each other, and then there's the other guys, right, that fall into different buckets. But if you're trying to get the people that are more passive to actually end up coming up with trade offers, forcing or not forcing them, giving the, um, them the opportunity to acquire players in the playoffs is massive because what will end up happening is the aggressors will make a trade in the playoffs, and then the passive people will be like, well, shit, this person's going after it. He just got better. I need to keep up with the Joneses. Now I'm going to try to make a trade. Um, so I, I think that would be the number one thing is just to remove the deadline. And I was very much against having a no trade deadline um, or having a trade deadline because I hate the fact that people can go out and try to buy championships. Um, but what I've come to notice is that people will go out and try to buy championships, but it sets them back. It is not it's not a conducive to a good dynasty strategy to do that because what people end up doing is try to acquire one player. And as we've known, I actually did the study on this. It wasn't like a massive study, but I basically found out that only 30% of the time will one individual game matchup fall within 10 points yeah. at the end of the scores. You're 100% right. I've, a, I've seen similar studies like a Daiko underscore FF on Twitter did a terrific study just basically uh, to summarize the fact that win now um, all in deals are horrible. They're like, if you're sure, trying to bad. buying championships doesn't work, there's too much variance in fantasy football. 
too much craziness. You know, there, you can never guarantee anything. So if you're at the end of the year, if you're out there trading seconds for veterans that are going to be worth a lot less, uh, when the, the second the season ends, you're setting yourself back because there's no guarantees there. Yeah, we actually did. Actually, we did a, a live one with um, it was a Twitter thread that we had going on with Addison Hayes um, last year. It was in the I think Russ may remember this. Keenan Allen. It was a Keenan Allen because um, I I don't know how we got into talking about it. I may have responded to him, but because I'm very much in that philosophy, win now trades are the worst thing you can make um, because you only have a 30% chance that the league, the game matchup falls within 10 points. And then you have to assume that your player actually produces when exactly. you need him to yep. versus the other player. So he traded Keenan Allen or he traded CD lamb straight yep. up for Keenan Allen. Oh no. Because he yep. was going to be, and I'm like, I mean, that's the nine difference. times out of 10 that, that trade it's probably even more than nine times out of 10, but nine times out of 10, that trade is going to backfire. Right, because based on, a, on age and profile and the whole thing, exactly, and it, even on a given week, you know, Keenan Allen averages like seventeen points per game, CD Lamb fourteen. You're gaining such a marginal, uh, you're gaining very little in the short run, uh, and you lose so so much value in the long run. That's not the kind of trade that you should be making. Correct. I mean, it's it's undeniably a bad trade, um, even if you're trying to win now. And there were a lot of people defending it, and that's the thing with experience and you know figuring out your philosophy and understanding the do's and don'ts and the why nots you know the why's and why nots but it's a losing proposition to do that uh and what he ended up finding out was not a single time throughout he ended up winning the league but he tracked the production between keenan and mm -hmm. cd lamb because i asked him to every mm -hmm. single week for the last eight weeks of the season including the playoffs and keenan allen not a single time made the difference exactly and he regretted the trade right um, and it was awesome. I, I love the fact that he did it. He's, he's, I, I don't really know Addison all that well. Seems like a decent guy. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. But he did, uh, you know, he went through the experiment and I think now we'll change his mindset. Yeah. Our, our good friend, John Bosch is very much in the win now. Camp. Always. Yep. Um, and I see people ruin teams. I, I've seen JB ruin a team um, doing that. We're just going after veterans win now guys and leaving the cupboards bare. I mean, the, you win championships not by getting by trading all your youth for an old guy at the last second and then winning the league like that because there's too much variance in that. You win your championships by building up good teams um, at the base. You don't have to sacrifice. You, you shouldn't sacrifice too much in mortgage the whole future. Like I remember when I first started playing, I traded like multiple firsts. It was a it was a bad trade. It was, I traded two firsts um for julio jones and keenan allen so this was last mm. year i've learned since then i was dumb uh and so hindsight 2020 yeah it's a bad trade i mortgaged my entire future came in second place and now i guess i'm screwed i did get like a couple seconds back and they ended up being pretty early so it's like instead of moving from like giving up my first entirely it's like moving from the 109 or 110 to like the 205 which it, it's still a loss, though, on the whole. like it, The trade was bad because if those guys got hurt, if my other players got hurt, and I ended up with giving up a top five pick or a top four pick, then that would really come to, back to bite me. For sure. And, and you can, you can accomplish trying to build your rosters. People get fixated on getting the top guys. Mm -hmm. But you don't necessarily need to go after the Keenan Allens or you know the guys that could get you 
25 points. This actually kind of partly leads to Akash's um, support of um, having high variant, like having high weekly variance versus having a consistent performance week to week. But if you look at a guy like Hunter Renfro last year, he could have helped you potentially win now, bolster your squad without having to give up the farm. He's a he's a small white slot receiver. They're not going to be that expensive. So you can get Hunter Renfro for a late second last year, bolster your playoff run, and then you don't have to give up all that sweat equity to find out if you can win with an improved player at a certain position. So there are opportunities. Running backs every year, mm-hmm. you can find... that An Elijah Mitchell can turn your rebuild into being closer to a contender. That you're a running back away. You're like, oh, I'm not ready to compete. I'm still a running back away. But then you hit on Elijah Mitchell for free, fourth round of your rookie draft, that can quickly change the change your uh your chances because you're now you've you can set a better lineup week to week yeah no for sure and even even guys like you james connor was a great example Mm -hmm. it took forever for anybody to really be like okay this guy's gonna be it even when chase edmonds went down he was still going for a mid to late second so if you really want a guy to bolster your your playoff run james connor ended up the second half of the season ended up in the top five for Mm -hmm. running back production James you guys Connor, like Leonard, yeah, Penny, Leonard Fournette and uh, Devin yeah, Singletary. Penny. Yeah, Penny, you could have got for super cheap. Leonard Fournette, once again, late right. second territory for most of the season. Um, but then on the flip side, um, you're trading your seconds for these guys. They 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 all lost value. I don't know about Singletary, but I know Connor and Fournette lost value the second the season ended. They were going for early seconds, and now they're going for like mid seconds. Their, their ADP has definitely fallen. And so sure. it comes it comes back to the idea that one player is not going to make a meaningful difference. So even if that player is a good player and they're producing well, there's too much variance for me to give up the, that kind of capital um, just just to add one player. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with you, but if you can't help it, you know, some mm-hmm. people have a problem if they can't help I've it. I've heard that somewhere. You can you can just go after guys that it won't be as painful. Look at it this way, dude. If you give up a mid-second or a late second ends up being a late second because you do well in the playoffs and you lose that pick and then james connor leonard fournette are worthless the following year that's not i've seen i've seen yeah i've seen seconds worse used in in worse methods so not the end of the world yeah but if you give up the uh, you know i would rather give it off of like someone in my lineup or someone on my bench um, so I would be sure. like, okay, I, I can pivot off this, my fifth best wide receiver to add to my running back depth. Sure. And that way I'm taking points away from my last flex spot. I'm taking away two to three points per game there, but I'm adding, um, good production down the stretch. Um, and I, instead of giving up the, the equity that I know is going to be worth more later, I can give up, um, points in one spot for more points in another spot. And then and that way I can part, uh, I can use that to bolster my needs man I, I, without yeah. having to sacrifice for the future how do you feel about completely injured play let's say you have a dalvin cook or a christian mccaffrey mm-hmm. um that are basically going to be injured for the fan- derrick henry injured for the fantasy playoffs are you willing to to flip those guys for a lesser running back that's still has these like for instance, would you have considered flipping Delvin Cook or Christian McCaffrey 
for a David Montgomery, for example. No. For the playoff run. No, that's not. At what point? Meaningful. At what point do you cut it off and saying it's too big of a decline? Actually, no. I'm going to stop you there. That is actually a very good topic for a later show, though I wish it was like playoff time okay. so we could really bring that in. But we're about to hit that hour mark, and we had some really good gold in this one, so we're calling it quits. Okay, okay. I like it. So keep it in. Keep it in. Keep it in the brain. Write it down. Whatever you got to do. I am your host, Russ Fisher at Dynasty Outhouse. We have Akash at YZR underscore fantasy. We have Izzy at DTC underscore Izzy E. This has been another episode of the Dynasty Trade Calculator podcast, and we'll see you next show. 